I have with me this morning a guest that I have found fascinating for quite a while, and I think you will too. He is uh, an expert in law enforcement issues, national security issues. He's a fantastic uh, author, um, columnist, and uh, a fantastic follower on Twitter. D.W. Wilbur, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. So tell folks a little bit about your career. You, you have had, you continue to have an amazing career, but uh, let's let's uh, talk about the whole career because you've led a really fascinating life so far. I, I like to say it's uh, it's not about uh, the jobs or the uh, the years. It's all about the mileage, and there's been a lot of mileage. Let me tell you. So uh, I, you know, I'm just a. a country boy from uh from the midwest from outside of st louis originally and uh you know i did uh did time in the army and uh i i, I joked that i was an oxymoron because i was uh i was in army intelligence which uh, uh sometimes uh proved to be not a not an accurate title uh but anyway after i got out of the army and that i looking for work and uh jobs and that and i uh, uh became a cop uh, st louis county police officer and uh, uh, following my my law enforcement career, I uh, went to work for the uh, for the CIA, and uh, uh, I was a uh, hired in an undercover capacity with the agency uh, because I was going to be spending my my career overseas. And uh, so I spent uh, a lot of years overseas under diplomatic cover, uh, working in a variety of countries: Eastern, Western Europe, Middle East. Uh, then after after I left the agency, uh, I since then I've been doing uh, a lot of uh, contract work, uh, um, working a lot with the uh, special operations community, the uh, Army Green Berets, Navy SEALs, uh, and Marine uh, Marine Raiders, MARSOC. Uh, and, uh, and I've done some work in, in foreign nations as well uh, with uh, uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and, and then obviously I did some time in Iraq, about three years in, uh, in Baghdad, uh, back during the, the Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. So and, and then I, I do a lot of writing, you know, I've written a book about my experiences in Baghdad at the uh, Baghdad Police Academy. And then uh, uh, and I do columns uh, for uh, opinion columns for uh, regularly for townhall.com and uh, for uh, America Out Loud. Well, that that is quite a career. And I love your opinion pieces. That's how I originally discovered you. But I've got to go back because like me, you're a Midwestern kid who decided to get involved in law enforcement. And, you know, St. Louis County is, uh, it's a big county. Um, I've done a lot of training. There's so many great folks there. Um, but what do you think about what you're seeing now, what's happening in St. Louis County and the city of St. Louis when we talk about law enforcement? Well, I mean, I'm, I've been separated from it for a lot of years, but I still have a lot of friends that, uh, most of them now are obviously are, you know, retirement, uh, a retired retirement age. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I hear the same thing from a lot of them is that the, the profession is not one that they would recommend people getting into young people getting into anymore. Um, and, and, and that's sad to say, because you got into it for, you know, for a reason I got in, for, I'm sure, you know, both of us, you know, went into it for noble you know, purposes. We, we wanted to do something to give back, to be part of something that was bigger than ourselves. And, uh, 
Uh, and it's hard nowadays with the pressure that law enforcement is under, not just in St. Louis, but in, in all over the country, you know, uh, uh, as a result of, you know, some self-imposed mistakes that have been made and, and things that, uh, that have been done wrong in the past. But, but also just uh, uh, from, the, from the standpoint of the lack of support that, uh, uh, that police are receiving now from, uh, from their community, uh, from their uh, administration on their department or their municipality, you know, the, the politicians. Um, I, I'm really good friends with Tom Jackson, who I, I'm not sure if you're acquainted with him. And Tom was the chief of police at Ferguson uh, during the riots. And uh, Tom had a, a stellar career at St. Louis County Police. He rose up through the ranks, uh, retired as a captain of the county police, commanded uh, very, I mean, just about every different bureau within the, uh, the county police uh, before he retired to accept the job as chief at Ferguson. And, uh, and he had a, a heck of a good, you know, four-year run at Kurt Ferguson before the, uh, uh, the shooting of Michael Brown happened. And, uh, you know, and then all, basically all hell broke loose. And, uh, you know, he, I had a lot of conversations with Tom. His brother, Dan, also is a retired St. Louis County police officer, uh, both very good friends of mine. You know, so I, I had a you know, kind of an inside look as to what was taking place, you know, during the Ferguson riots. And, uh, you know, and it was just absolutely a, a unbelievable situation. The pressure that the, the the officers that were holding the line, you know, were up against because, I mean, literally the the bad guys who, who many of them, you know, came in from out of town. Uh, I mean, they were they were determined to burn the police station down. They were going to burn things down, which they they ended up burning half the city down, really. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a. A situation where the the municipal leadership actually was behind Tom. They 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 uh, the mayor and that supported Tom, but ultimately it came down to a situation where because of the the, the political involvement of Missouri Democrat politicians, the Democrat governor of Missouri, uh, Jay Nixon and uh, Senator Claire McCaskill, uh, along with the the involvement of the Obama administration. Uh, the situation just became untenable, and eventually Todd had to resign and retire, basically to save the city uh, a lot of money. And um, so he chose to do that. He fell on his sword and, and left the city. And, you know, it's uh, Ferguson has never been the same since. I don't know that it ever will be. One of the funny things that Tom told me was uh, it, it, he said for all of the the leftist, uh, you know, Antifa types and that Ferguson actually had become almost a tourist destination. Because oftentimes during, you know, when the rioting was going on, during the daytime, it was relatively peaceful. Uh, a lot of older uh, black members of the community would be there to to uh, protest and, and uh, express their views and that. But they were very cooperative. They made, you know, they followed the rules. They, you know, they stayed out of the streets and that, didn't try to block traffic and or burn the police station down. Uh, and so there really was, was not a problem. And during that time, during the daytime, when it was peaceful and quiet, <laughs> all of these uh, outsiders would show up just to get their picture taken in front of the uh, Ferguson police station. Like, like I said, it became a tourist destination. It was only after dark when all of the problems uh, uh, started. And, uh, and that was a lot of people from outside the community that had come in. Uh, and, uh, you know, basically they were there to, to, uh, you know, create civil unrest and that. And, and, 
and Ferguson is not unique. Ferguson was kind of the flashpoint, I guess. Uh, but then after Ferguson, you know, obviously we've seen what's happened in other communities around the country. And it's it has discouraged a lot of people who uh, at one point may have considered a law enforcement career. Not anymore. You know, now they're they've decided that uh, uh, it's just not worth it. You know. Well, and that's so sad because, you know, you know, you and I both know that, you know, this was a, a wonderful adventure um as you know especially as young law enforcement officers and it, it leads to, it can lead to different things or it can just lead to a, a wonderful life of serving your community and then retiring but now law enforcement has become you know we're we're under attack we've become so politicized tell me your thoughts on that because you know you you know you saw what happened in ferguson then what has happened since you know what are we going to do in American law enforcement to get out of this horrible politicization of this profession that frankly shouldn't be there? We are sworn to protect everyone, regardless of their politics or their race, religion, sexual orientation, you name it. And yet we um, are frequently at the epicenter of American politics. Yeah, I mean, we're an easy target. You know, because we're we're a, a public face of uh, not just the community, but of, of this country. I mean, the police are the ones that are out there dealing with, you know, uh, the community, uh, both the good and the bad uh, on a, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, it's it's who it's who the public sees uh, if there's trouble or a problem in the community or whatever. They see the police officer, on, you know, on the scene. Uh, it's who the public goes to you know, for help when they, you know, when someone breaks, uh, you know, uh, breaks into their house or whatever, and they come home, you know, they find their house has been burglarized and that, you know, they don't pick up the phone and call a plumber, you know, it's just the police who respond. And then they, you know, obviously they, they've got to try to put the pieces together to give some closure to those people. And, you know, which is difficult to do. Any Anytime you have a situation like that, because people feel violated. You know, my car, I, I got my car stolen uh, uh, a number of years ago. I uh, uh, i was getting ready to go down to uh, El Paso, Texas to work at Epic. I, if you're familiar with Epic, the El Paso Intelligence Center. And uh, I had parked my, my vehicle outside a hotel the night before. Um, and I was the next morning when I got up to, uh, I was getting ready to, I was driving down that day. <laughs> there was an empty space where my vehicle had been parked the night before. You know, and sure, I knew what happened. And I mean, I'd been a police officer, but you know what? I felt violated. I felt like, damn, you know what? What? You know, my whole life was in that car because, uh, you know, I was carrying a lot of stuff with me that I was going to need right away when I got down there. Uh, and then uh, the rest of myself was going to follow, you know, by a moving van. But, uh, you know, I I was like, what do I do now? You know, and uh, uh, I ended up having to. Uh, because I had a, you know, I had a box full of important papers, had my tax returns in them, my, my passport, you know, and a lot of other documents that had my personal information all over it. And uh, so I've been on one of those uh, uh, monitoring services ever since, you know, because I, I just, uh, I, I anticipated having identity theft problems or something. And, uh, and I carry a copy of that police report in my, in my car ever since, because, 
<laughs> if I ever get stopped by the police and they tell me that I've got a warrant out for me, you know, for some heinous crime somewhere, I want to, I want to be able to show them, hey, wait a minute, you know, it may not be me you're you're uh, you're looking for. So, you know, it's it's that's I mean, like I said, that that's what what people look to for answers. You know, when when things go wrong, they look to the police. Yeah. Well, and we're in this atmosphere now where it's see, our ju whole justice system seems to be more pro-criminal than pro-crime victim. And you just describe what it's like to be a crime victim, you know, and, and uh, you know, I guess car theft is a quote unquote nonviolent crime, but it has impacted your life for years since. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. No, they, they don't. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and police officers, like I said, we, you know, uh, when you when you respond to a situation like that, you know, people, uh, um, they, they see what happens in TV and movies. The crime is solved in an hour, you know. Uh, and the reality is, you know, kind of a slap in the face to them when they find out that, you know, in, in, in a, you know, the case of a burglary, you know, the odds are we're not going to get your property back. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of the situation, unless the guy happens to be stopped by a by a patrol officer who uh, pulls him over as they're leaving the scene and, and finds all of your belongings in the in the trunk of the car. You know, the odds are your stuff is going to be it's going to disappear in, in, mm -hmm. in a lot of. And, you know, people, like I said, they, they've been desensitized in a sense to what the reality is that, you know, we live in a in a. We live in a dangerous world and we, you know, there's a lot of crime. The, the, the police respond and do the best they can, but it all isn't over in an hour and, and you're not, you know, tied up in a neat little bow and, and, uh, and you're, you're happy with the outcome. Well, and I tell you, speaking of desensitization, you know, you're an expert on terrorism and, and we're coming up on uh, 21 years since 9-11-01. Do you think that, the United States has become desensitized to the potential for another 9-11 style or 9-11 uh, impact type uh, attack here on our shores. We absolutely have, you know, uh, that's one thing with our modern society, you know, we go from one thing to the next uh, and our memory is short and, uh, you know, I do a lot of presentations uh, uh, around the country and, and also in, in foreign nations uh, on counterterrorism. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I tell people when, uh, as, as you just did, you introduced me as, you know, as a terrorism expert or whatever. And I tell people up front, I said, the only experts out there are the terrorists because they know what they're going to do, when they're going to do it and where they're going to do it. You know, and, and we have to try to, to stay ahead by uh, and, and head them off at the past, so to speak, uh, by having good intelligence capabilities. Uh, otherwise, normally we're just there to sweep up the mess afterwards and try to put the pieces together and bring people to justice. And, you know, that's uh, uh, hard for people to hear because, again, they're desensitized to it by what they've seen in TV and movies where, you know, the good guys, you know, uh, John Rambo, you know, kills all the bad guys and, and saves the world. You know, um, they see that and that's what they expect. And they don't understand or realize that a lot of times, particularly from my my intelligence background, 
uh, intelligence cases on terrorist organizations are very diff difficult for one thing, but they can take uh, months to years to, to develop a source who can provide you with accurate information uh, about what the intentions of some of these uh, uh, terrorist organizations are, you know, are, are going to be doing. So, so it's, it's a, uh, again, it's, it's, um, and then the, uh, I mentioned the short memory and in, in that, you know, it's fine to, to after 9-11 that America had to, we had to move on, you know, we couldn't be, be uh, just, uh, um, so fearful that we were afraid to leave our house because that's also part of what these terrorist organizations like to do is they want to impact us in, in every way they can financially. They want to scare us. They want to, uh, they want to change our, our life, you know? And so we have to, to fight back from that. We have to move on, but we got to move on with some, uh, with some intelligence. We got to be smart about it and make sure that, uh, you know, we don't forget that things have we have to be mindful of it and, and, and keep an eye open. And, you know, it's a cliche now, but, you know, you see something, you say something. We've got to do that. Do you think political correctness is hampering our efforts to, uh, you know, keep ourselves safe as a country from, uh, you know, foreign and even domestic terrorists? Absolutely. I mean, look what happened uh, with the San Bernardino case. You know, people who lived in the neighborhood with with those uh, uh, Muslim extremists, they saw strange activity going on. You know, I think if I remember correctly, it was in the garage or something of, of the house. Mm -hmm. It didn't look right. And they were, you know, they were suspicious that, you know, that something bad was was going on. But they did, they just weren't sure. And and some of them afterwards who were interviewed, who who were acquainted with these people or lived in the, in the neighborhood said that they, well, they, they didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to look like they were a Islamophobe. Yeah, that, that is so well said. Well, I have about a hundred more questions and I only have a minute left. I want to hear about the book. Well, since you asked, <laughs> there's my, it's about my, uh, my experiences and the people I worked with at the Baghdad Police Academy. Uh, back after the fall of Saddam, when they were trying to uh, reconstruct the country and rebuild the services and that, that, uh, you know, they had been destroyed by our invasion. Uh, and obviously law enforcement was one of those. And uh, so I went over, uh, uh, as did a number of other people, to, to try to help rebuild the Iraqi police force. And from what it was, you know, before, which was, you know, basically just a strong arm for, for Saddam's regime, mm -hmm. uh, is something that was more, practiced more Western policing methods. And uh, uh, I worked with a, a bunch of fine people. I mean, you know, people from all walks of law enforcement here in the U.S. We had federal agents. We had small town cops. We had deputy sheriffs from uh, rural counties, and we had major metropolitan uh, police officers uh, from all different ranks. And, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, it, it's, it's actually a lot of humor involved in the book, because you, you know, as well as I do, you know, we, uh, there's that so-called cops gallows humor. Uh, so, you know, you might find yourself in the middle of, a, of an ambush on the streets of Baghdad, that uh, scares the living dickens out of you. But when you got back to the safety of the green zone or the academy, uh, you know, you sat around the campfire, you know, over a bottle of beer, laughing about it with, you know, with your colleagues. So it's just, it's, it's a look at, at 
you know, just a, a small window of time uh, that, that occurred for me personally and, and for others that I worked with over there. Uh, you know, I, I hope people, you know, find it, uh, uh, you know, something that, uh, that they, you know, enjoy reading. It's not a, you know, it's not war and peace by any means that I'm no Hemingway. I never claimed to be. So uh, I'm just telling the story and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, there has been some interest uh, in it out, out in uh, La La Land as far as uh, possibly doing something with it uh, in the entertainment industry. But, you know, that things move so glacial out there that, you know, uh, I, I may be long dead and gone before something happens. So, but anyway, yeah, I hope, uh, you know, people want Picking up on Amazon, it uh, it was I don't know if it still is. It was at uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, a uh, lot of other outlets. And if you uh, um, Google the uh, the title, Matt, you can see it's uh, it's a lot of places uh, uh, where you can order it online. Uh, Amazon, I think, has got the best price. So if there's a lot of cops out there watching this, go to Amazon. Okay, you'll get it cheaper. I don't want to my uh, my for my law enforcement buddies to be paying the pay full price for they get the publisher charges. So, right. Well, listen. Where can people find you on social media? Where can they read your columns? Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, uh, and it's uh, DW Wilbur One, and then uh, uh, my website uh, is dwwilbur.com. Uh, and again, my my last name is spelled W I L B E R. So not to be confused because a lot of, I don't know why my parents or great grandparents did that, but, uh, uh, and then, uh, and I, I write for America out loud and, uh, for townhall.com regularly. Outstanding. And we can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the national police association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.